Welcome to Rough Drafts, How God Writes His Love in Our Stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell, and in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They are just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. Friends, thanks for joining us for today's Rough Draft episode. I think you're going to enjoy today's guest. He is a member of an exclusive sad, sad club, people who have survived being youth ministry interns at Burns Church of Christ. He's serving in Florida now. He came to us uh, from Hickman County. It's my friend Griffin Elkins. Griffin, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Matthew. It's uh, It's been a pleasure and, and quite a few years of struggle just trying to get over the trauma of having to be one of your interns. <laughs> yeah, there is a, uh, there's a meeting for that. It's like Tuesday nights uh, after AA, I think. <laughs> I might need it, you know. I, I was trying to remember who all is in this kind of sad club. It's you and Brendan and um, shoot, 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 William Welch, um, mm-hmm. uh, Tyler Quinn, uh, Dagan Hall. I'm forgetting somebody. Man, it's uh, it's been a fun run over the years doing the intern thing. I tell people all the time that, uh, and, and this is genuine, I'm not saying this just because uh, – you had me on your podcast, but I tell people all the time that I would not be uh, able to hold a position of youth ministry if I hadn't had that internship. Uh, what I learned there and 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 the ways I grew there truly made me, I, I don't think you're ever truly ready to just hop in, but it made me so much more ready than I could have been. Um, and for that, I am thankful and forever grateful to the Burns Church of Christ. Man, you're stepping in it thick over here. You know, because <laughs> what I remember from our internship was at least once a week you looked at me and said, how do you still have a job? <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, you're still going strong, so it couldn't be that crazy. Yeah, well, that that's fair enough. Well, man, uh, so uh, you're in Florida. Tell us, uh, what's your God story? What do you want to share with us? Well, I think we could start. Uh, I My initial God story it's not one of extreme variety or of of extreme excitement. Um, but I, I was talking to my girlfriend about that. I was like, I, I don't know what to say when I'm doing this. She she said, just tell it how it is. And and every God story doesn't have to be some spectacular moment, some some overly exciting, just crazy wow story. Um, because people also need to hear that it doesn't have to be that way. So they, cause people will feel like they're missing something. Well, God hasn't had this moment with me and we can lose people that way. Um, but, but to tell you my God story, I think we have to start at the beginning, uh, being from Hickman County, it should be no secret that I grew up in a, uh, God loving home. Uh, I, I could probably count on my hands and toes, the amount of Sundays and, and Wednesdays I missed, uh, combined growing up. Uh, we were there every time the doors were open, and I'm so thankful for that. I grew up in a home uh, led by a great father and, and a wonderful mother who loved the Lord and raised me and my two siblings to also love the Lord. So much so that 
by the time I got into the youth group in sixth grade, after a couple months of being there, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life, and that was to do youth ministry. Um, because even just in that short time of initially being in there, uh, it was having such a profound effect on my life that I wanted to be able to spread that uh, to the next generation of youth, and hopefully the generation after that, and so on. Um, but I grew up in a home that loved the Lord, and I didn't have to necessarily come find the Lord myself. I, I have done that, but the Lord was presented to me very early, almost immediately out of the womb, you know, and, and so I've always had this drive, this passion uh, to to be there, to uh, serve, to to work, and that's not tooting my own horn, that's tooting my parents and my family and my grandparents who have uh, all led in positions at, at, at the church. My father was an elder. Uh, my grandfathers both served in leadership roles. Um, it, it was truly a wonderful experience. Now, that's not to say that I haven't struggled, that I haven't um, not fallen away, but haven't had moments of, of hardship and, and uh trial that have made me question things. Uh, as most people will tell you, I, I would at least assume, if you get an honesty serum out of them, uh, that they have. And for me, uh, that's all been mainly self-inflicted. Uh, while I was talking or thinking about what I wanted to say today, the old George Jones song, Choices, kept coming into my mind, where he says, I've had choices since the day that I was born. Uh, there were voices that told me right from wrong. If I'd listened, well, I wouldn't be here today living and dying by the choices I've made. And, and that applies to all aspects of everybody's life. But I think about that when I think about my life and, and where the Lord has brought me. And, and that's kind of the the overarching theme that I kind of want to look at today is, is even out of bad choices, uh, mistakes, consequences that come from those, the Lord finds ways to work and work well and good as he is. Um, if, if there were times when sometimes I think if I could go back and change these things, um, and then I think about them, I, I realize that, well, I wouldn't be here doing what I love if some things had gone differently in my life. Yeah. And through that, I can see how the Lord has worked through not only me, but those around me and the mistakes, the, the, the struggle and oftentimes the sin that has snuck its way into my life. Um, but good has come out of that because the Lord's will is going to get done. The Lord's plan is going to get done. Um, but we have to be the ones that are willing to accept it. And, and I've got a kind of a funny story about that uh, that I can tell here in a moment. But I, I want to look at the way that God uses every choice we make, whether right or wrong, good or bad, uh, to make us who we are, bring us to, to the point that we are. I, I think about... I think about David and in a time of his life where he could not have done anything worse than his 
the choices he was making, he saw Bathsheba. He brought her to him. He slept with her. He got her pregnant. He killed her husband, who was one of his trusted advisors, good friends, and mighty men. Um, the baby died. And what does he do? He gets up and he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And, and I see bad choices being used not to glorify God, but to see good come out of it at the end. We see where God is holding his goodness in our lives, even when we kind of lose track of it. When we stumble and our free will gets in the way uh, of ourselves from getting to God, we see God come back, not come back to us because he's always there waiting for us, but we see God's love come back into our lives when we're willing to just accept it there. I think I rambled a little too much. No, you're good. But... I mean, there's just so many stories like this. Um, in our Wednesday study at Burns, we were in Judges uh, 14, I guess, with um, Samson's story. And at the beginning of that story, mm -hmm. you know, Samson, kind of this miraculous birth thing. He's going to be a Nazarite, no haircuts, no liquor, no dead things. It's a, it's a weird start to the story. But then in Judges 14, um, uh, he says, I want to go marry this Philistine chick. And mom and dad say this is a terrible idea. They resist him, but he won't listen. And there was this line um, in Judges 14.4. I wrote it down yesterday. His father and mother did not realize this was the Lord's doing. Um, you know, it was Samson making a decision that would lead to his own death. But this was a God thing because God was using this moment to save his people. And it's just really cool to to hear stories of a God who is capable of um, using the dumbest things we do to accomplish his will. Absolutely. And, and, and it, and there, like you said, there's no short shortage of, of those stories throughout scripture. There's no shortage of those stories throughout, um, your podcast. There's no stories of those or shortage of those stories throughout just day to day talking to people. And sometimes they, oftentimes I would say they don't realize that these little coincidences that have shown good from bad are God things. Yeah. And I think that is sad and, and a loss on the part of man to not see that and see the glory and, and the goodness that comes from that. Totally. Let me, let me Genesis let me 50, you know, Joseph and his brothers, he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Uh, in the gospels, you've got Pilate, who's just a spineless coward doing what the crowd wants, but that's how God accomplishes salvation. I mean, this is a drum we probably need to beat pretty loud and clear for people to hear. <laughs> right. It, it's it's not saying, and people have a tendency to misconstrue God's will being done as us having no free will, but that's not the case. We see it in, in Moses, uh, in, in Genesis, where Moses is getting ready for uh, what will be the Exodus, um, where, uh, excuse me, in Exodus, where Moses is getting ready for the Exodus. Minus uh, when he's at yeah, <laughs> when, he's at, when he's at the burning bush, he says, "God, I can't do this. I I, I can't talk. I can't do this. I, I don't want to publicly speak. You gotta you gotta pick somebody else." And God's like, "I mean, I, I, I'm gonna use you, but if you're not gonna do it, somebody will. Like, it doesn't have to be you, but somebody's gonna get this done." So what does he do? He calls up Aaron to do the speaking for Moses. Um. Our free will is there, and God's will is there, 
but we have to make sure that our free will doesn't get in the way of God's will, even though God's will will triumph a hundred percent of the time. Oh yeah. God's going to get what he wants. Um, the Esther story, Mordecai says to Esther, God's going to save his people. The question is, are you going to, are you going to be one of his people? Are you going to be one of the ones who's in on this or out of this? You know, exactly. God gets what he wants. So tell me um, how this has kind of played for you in these first couple of years of ministry down there in Florida. You know, you, you grew up in Centerville, you did the Free Harbin thing, uh, you, you interned back home, you interned with us, and now you are um, 10,000 miles away from home in uh, the state of uh, alligators and old Yankees driving, um, doing your first ministry work there. What's, uh, what's this been like for you? Well, let me, I, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't set the stage of how I got down here. Yeah. So um, I met Fried Hardeman. Uh, it's 2020. This is my senior year. Um, I, I, I'm in a, a position of getting ready to graduate. Uh, I've got uh, not a job lined up, but jobs I'm looking at. I've got uh, a, a steady relationship. I've got all of this that seems to be going right. And then in March, what happens? We get a fun little uh, supposed to have been one week to uh, flatten the curve that winds up being two years of uh, lockdowns and, and masks and whatnot and, and not to be political but uh, it's a fact those things happened and let me tell you that threw a wrench in my plans <laughs> because not only uh, did I get well, we got sent home from Freed two months early. Um, my uh, relationship, which I had banked way too much in, ended. My job that I had at the time uh, put me on furlough, and it felt like there was nothing in this world that was going right. And truly, and I can say this with certainty, and with um, complete honesty, that was the worst period of my life. And it was just all things. It was like the walls of Jericho had crashed down all at once. Um, there was It's a big deal when you're, you know, you don't get graduation like you expected. You didn't get the career correct. transition, the relationship stuff. I mean... Uh, you know, any one of those things might not seem like the worst thing, but when you start piling them together, man, I mean, it, it lands. Yeah. And, and it, it landed hard. And, um, so I, I'm spending, uh, a few months trying to finish school, uh, online, uh, classes were just miserable doing that. Uh, it was night and day what they were compared to actually being there with people. Um, church was closed. Work was, uh, no longer there. Um, you couldn't go uh, do anything with anyone. Um, but the one thing I found that I could do and I could enjoy was fishing. So after a couple weeks worth of, of self-wallowing and, and being pathetic <laughs> as it was, I decided, you know what, I'm going to get out of the house. I'm going to go fishing. So every day for about, oh, it was probably a month or two, uh, I went out and just sat at this little pond at the camp I grew up going to uh, fishing. And 
it, it wasn't a, I don't want to say a spiritual awakening, but it was a, it was a emotional, a spiritual, a mental, and and honestly a physical oasis, a, a refreshing. Like I had crawled through the Sahara and found a body of water, cool, clean water. Because it was nice just to sit outside and spend time alone, but not alone in in quarantine, but alone with nature, with the sun, with uh, the water, with God. And that is where things started to turn back right, at least in my mind. Not that things were fixed immediately in my life, but that I was back to where I, I, I believed there was hope because that's what had happened. I had lost hope in everything. So fast forward a little bit, uh, my job, which wasn't a career, uh, just, uh, the way to make money and pay the bills at the time, uh, brought me back on. They opened back up. The problem was that's not what I wanted to do. I did not want to work a retail job for my life. I wanted to do youth ministry. Uh, but the problem was that churches were either still shut down, were just opening back up, had been hit very hard financially because they weren't open. Uh, and so places were not looking necessarily for a job or for a youth minister. So about, uh, I'd say about six more months rolled by. This is uh, late December maybe early January of 2021. And uh, through all this time, I, I have a good friend. His name is Rich Beatty. He lives uh, a couple hours south of me now, uh, down in Stewart, where he is a youth minister. And uh, we were good friends at Freed, and we would call and talk to each other about once a week or so. And every phone call would always just end with, so when are you moving to Florida? And every phone call would end with, Rich, I'm not moving to Florida. I have no desire to move to Florida. <laughs> and uh, one day it was a it was a rough day at work. It's, I can't remember what nonsense it happened. Uh, the The drive back was bad. Traffic was bad. It just everything piled up at once. And and but I was talking to Rich, and he ended the phone call as he always did. So when are you moving to Florida? And I said, Rich, it is going to take an act of God to make me move. Florida. <laughs> and 30 minutes later, I get a text message from a area code I've never seen from a man I've never heard of on behalf of a church that I didn't know existed, asking if I wanted to interview for their position of youth ministry in Holly Hill, Florida. <laughs> um, <laughs> and immediately, no, that's of humor. Yeah. If anybody ever says no, I tell them that story. Yeah. And, uh, so I immediately, I was like, all right, well, I guess this is the game we're playing, isn't it? And, and, and I spent a few minutes, um, just reflecting on, on the nonsense that I had caused actively trying to shut a door that God was apparently trying to open for me to the point where he's literally saying, here is this door. Are you going to take it or not? And that was just beautiful for me. It, 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 it's one of my favorite stories to tell because now I, I, I'm in a place I never thought I'd be working a job that I had only 
always wanted, uh, doing what I love for a good church with good people uh, in a wonderful area with when I never had intentions of moving out of the state of Tennessee. Yeah. But here I am, two and a half years later, almost going on three, and I wouldn't have traded it for the world. Uh, I say all that to get into the ministry where things are going great. Um, it, it's We've had a good two years uh, since I've been here. Well, I, I would say it's been a good two years. You might have to ask some other people if, if they would also state that. <laughs> we'll check the references on that. That's okay. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's been an adjustment, too. Uh, and this is something you can brag about, and, and I oftentimes do brag about, but something that I miss dearly, but has in ways been a blessing, too. Florida is not the Bible Belt. Yes. Uh, in fact, I was talking to our, our preacher the other night about this. This is not a land of build it and they will come for youth ministries as it is back home, uh, where you just slap something on the calendar and 30 kids show up just because you said it was going to happen. Um, it is, in a lot of ways, the world has changed this a little bit. Uh, Sundays and Wednesdays are not sacred for sports anymore. No. Nope. Um, uh, and and things like that are getting in the way of youth ministry. Um, but it has been an experience and, and an adjustment, but it has been a blessing to try and figure out how to navigate that um, where it, it's just different. It's a, it's a culture, not that these kids don't care about God or prioritize God, but the just it's not automatic like it was in a town like center. Right. Yeah. Automatic is the exact word I would use. It, it, it's not automatic. It, it's, you have to almost campaign like a politician. Yeah. Uh, you got to get out there and meet people. And, you know, it's funny in the time that I've preached, um, the societal shift around religion is just so clear. Um, if I meet an 80-year-old and they say, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a minister. Uh, there is a sense of respect that I get automatically, um, even deference, sometimes an unhealthy deference. Uh, but like there is a, oh, you're a man of cloth. God, you're a man of the cloth. You know, like there's that sort of thing, which is still weird to me. But if I meet a 20-something, and I say, I'm a minister, I'm immediately met with suspicion, distrust, and distance. Um, right. I really wish I lived in a world where it was just, oh, okay, so that's what you do. You know, I, I don't particularly want to be put on a pedestal, and I don't want to particularly be put in a pit, but that's that change has happened quick. Yeah, and it, it I don't know exactly where to point for it, um, but it, it's been clear even before I was in the ministry uh, I could see it changing and that's also saying something uh, seeing as I come from 30 minutes from where you are from yeah. in the heart of the Bible Belt truly that if that issue is there how is it elsewhere yes um, where, what's it like in New York you know exactly. uh, and I don't think it, people uh, fully appreciate the Bible Belt distinction that you're making too um you know, on one hand, it's kind of cool that in Dixon County, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a church. Um, you know, so there's some advantages to that. There is there is a church culture here. Everyone knows something about a church. I mean, mm -hmm. 
if they don't, it's because they haven't wanted to. They have wanted not to. Um, but there also comes with that some real disadvantages. There's some some weird competition. Um, there's some weird infighting, co- uh, competition for resources, um, rivalries. You know, this church doesn't like this church. And in places that aren't so thick with churches, it seems like sometimes there's a little bit more of, no, we're not going to divide and split and fuss and fight over that. We don't have time to make enemies, you know? Well, and there's there's also um, some disadvantages for just the common man and woman's faith. Yeah. Uh, you and I often talked when I was the intern there about uh, not handing faith to youth, but having them build their own. Um, but... When you live in a, an area where, especially it, like in my situation growing up, where it is nigh impossible uh, to have faith handed to you, um, finding your own tools to build those foundational blocks uh, can be a lot more difficult. Whereas down here, um, some of the people I have met are some of the most on fire um for Christ and for God and for the church people I have ever met because they had to find their way to God, yeah. not have God to them, um, which like you said, the Bible Belt has advantages, but it has disadvantages. Uh, you're always going to find strength in having to work for something yeah. more so than you're going to find it being handed something. And that was, that's kind of how I wanted to build a ministry uh, was to, give tools to build foundational blocks, not hand them uh, their blocks or my blocks or their parents' blocks, if that makes sense. Um, But that has been kind of the, how down here has felt has been, like I said, it's it's a culture shock almost, the differences. Growing up in a place where if the doors were open, the bulk of the congregation was there. If there was something written on the youth calendar, you didn't have to mention it once the youth group was there. Um, and then moving to a place where you got to remind people and you got to, you got to advertise for things and you got to really push. And, 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 uh, I've had to, <laughs> I've had to go drag kids out of their houses before to, <laughs> to get them to think. Okay. That's um, kidnapping. We don't, we don't do that. Griffin. <laughs> and you can't drive a van around a neighborhood and offer them free candy to get any. We, we talked about this in the internship, not again. Well, you know, I, like I said, there were uh, there were some things I've already forgotten from uh, your advice you've given me. <laughs> or does this go back to the mistakes we've made section? <laughs> well, that might be that part. <laughs> the charges never stuck, man. That's right. Hmm. Um, so, what has surprised you about ministry work? What's uh, what's been different? Because you know, it, it is different to do um, a summer of youth ministry as an intern uh, than it is to go to a place and church is your job 24 seven. Tell me, tell me what that transition has been like. The transition itself, I, I don't think was necessarily the worst part. Um, like I said, the internship I had at Burns helped a lot with, um, opening my eyes to more of what it would be like. Um, because he, Yes, the Andy was there, and you were there. But for the summer, it was uh, the keys had been handed to me for 
uh, a good bulk of it, which I'm so thankful for. Like I said, I, I would have been nowhere near <laughs> qualified or capable of running a ministry if I had not had that opportunity. Um, but the the thing that has kind of surprised me most that I don't know how nobody ever brought this up, but the this thing that happens and and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about where some weeks you'll have 12 hours worth of work to get done but then there are weeks where you are going non-stop day in and day out and it is exhausting one thing after another um, and I'm not talking about just going to camp or doing a retreat or something like that but just things going on within the church and things going on within the group that just never seems to end uh, that has kind of caught me off guard uh, because I was used to a retail job where it was, here's your 35 hours a week. Here is your uh, shift. Here is what you got to get done for the day. Um, and here it's kind of, um, well, this is what we got going on. Let's go get this done now. Yeah. Um, this just came up. We need to head over to the hospital. This just came up. Let's go uh, help out here uh, kind of deal. People are um, really inconsiderate and die at terribly inopportune times too. They, they what their funeral. I know. <laughs> if 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 they would just plan better uh, for you know life emergencies, this would be the easiest job in the world. Hmm. You know, one thing <laughs> I think catches people off guard too is uh, maybe more than most, there is a weird blurring between your personal and professional life. Um, so, you know, like if I go have lunch with Brendan, the youth minister, um, was that work or was that me having lunch with a friend? Uh, because he's a friend of mine, but he's also my coworker. Which is it? You know, um, if I go to the house so that no one will bother me so that I can read a book of the Bible, was that my personal devotional time or was that sermon prep? Um, and there's so many right. other things that we do that the answer is kind of both. You know, you've got a lot of time that ends up being sort of blurry. So there's part of you that's like, have I done enough? There's part of you that says, have I done too much? And trying to achieve that balance, that's a, that's a tricky thing. It's, and I, I was told that coming in, or, or not necessarily coming in, but uh, at my time studying at Freed Hardman. Uh, so I, I was expecting that, but I wasn't ready for it. And you know, you have kind of a line that blurs and your own personal trying to figure out what's personal and what's work. But then you also have, uh, and we won't get into too much about this, but you also have the outside perception yeah. uh, that gets looked in of other people asking those same questions too. Um, and just, it, it's almost also every decision you make is under a microscope and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it, it has, I think it holds people hopefully accountable more. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a job where there are no secrets, uh, when it comes to you, yeah. uh, which can be taxing and tiring. Uh, but it's also not the end of the world. You know, um, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's a thorn in the side that, is worth enduring for the greater good for the work. Um, I, I, I wouldn't trade this for the world. So uh, what it, do you love about it? What, what makes it so special to you? It, 
I'm going to think of how to word this properly to where it sounds good. And when people are listening, the paycheck. Um, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it gives me purpose, drive, um, hope, even seeing the next generation youth and, and, and teens and, and on top of that, children um, being excited for God for Jesus and for church and just knowing him and and their spiritual lives growing is such a beautiful thing and it it just gives me drive to um I, I don't know exactly how I'm trying to word this it like I said at the beginning um when I was in the youth group growing up, it was all that mattered in my head. I had to be at every single event that was available. Um, I remember one of the worst evenings of my high school life. I had the flu on Super Bowl Sunday and couldn't go to the Super Bowl party. And you would have thought the world was going to end <laughs> in my head. Um, but the impact that had and people like Craig Shelton, who was my youth minister, and and Chris Webb, who was my youth minister before that, and uh, mentors to me like uh, the current youth minister there, Carter, uh, and and you, and and the impact that had on my life and my spiritual well-being, and giving me the focus of where I needed to be, even though so many times I fell short. Yeah, that importance in my life, if I could help present that to even just one teenager in a sliver of what it meant to me, um, it would all be worth it. Yeah. Because without the youth, the teens, uh, without the children in our churches being committed, being faithful, being on fire, there's no future for the church. Right. So without that, um, there's almost no reason to go on. Yeah. And that's that's what keeps me going. Just seeing the love for God in the eyes of kids and teens and students um, gives me the breath of life, truly. It, it is really cool because, um, you know, you get a front row seat to some of life's uh, best moments. You know, you it is not that uncommon for me to have a week where I perform a wedding and a funeral in the same week. Or, you know, I'm the third person to hold a new baby and I go to a, a funeral service. Or, you know, you, you get to teach a Bible study where somebody, the light goes off and they get grace or or you help somebody get connected to a rehab facility and it might be the domino that keeps them from dying. Um, what's cool about this work is you, you really get to do some stuff that matters And what I think people who've never done it don't get, uh, what's hard about the job isn't so much that you have a lot of hours or weird expectations. It's the amount of times that, uh, people on the sidelines, um, hmm, I gotta say this right. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I avoided it earlier. Yeah, I heard you do it, but I thought we needed to drive into it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the times that people on the sidelines uh, micromanage or nitpick or fuss and fight or argue about minutiae that doesn't matter or actively make it harder for other people to follow Jesus. Um, that's the stuff that'll drive you to want to drink. I mean, you know, when when you're having the moment where you, you study with somebody and they're saying, you know, I think that Jesus is Lord and I want to follow him and I want to give him my life. And then the next person who calls you is somebody who says, well, the thermostat was two degrees too cold on Sunday. And if you don't fix that, I'm leaving this church. You know, you just kind of want to throw a punch the second person, you know, because you don't, you're missing the point. You know, that's what I think gets hard about this. Um, but man, it's sure cool when it works, isn't it? It, it is one of the best feelings in the world, watching that light bulb click or, or just seeing passion uh, where there wasn't before or, or just seeing passion rekindled. Yeah. Um, coming home from a good retreat, coming home from a uh, uh, just a, a good Bible study, uh, there is an air of calmness, of uh, comfort, of joy that comes out of those. Um, and, and, and it is... It is a wonderful feeling. And I, I'm not in this career, and, and as you're not in this career, um, for personal gratification, for the thank yous. We're sure not in it for the paycheck. Yeah. Um, but we're in it to bring people to Christ. We're in it to grow the kingdom of God. And each single opportunity that that gets to come to fruition uh like like it's said oftentimes the angels rejoice over just one soul who has been saved um we rejoice over even just one soul who has had a light bulb click yeah uh or a a, a um someone who has decided to come back someone who has uh said they want to spend their Sundays with us um, is a great feeling because it feels like we're making a difference. Yeah. Man, just, you know, making a difference. That's what we want to do. Um, there's enough stuff in the world that's broken. I can't fix politics. I can't fix terrorism. I can't fix the economy. Neither can any of you, by the way. <laughs> sure. But if uh, I can help someone love and be loved, um, that's enough. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, Griffin, man, you got anything else you want to share? Uh, like warnings to people never to intern with me or um, warnings not to do ministry, go sell insurance. What are you thinking? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say any warnings. What I would say is uh, if this is what you feel like you were called to do, do it. Um, and in knowing that, Know that there is uh, a deceiver who is going to try to pull you away from that. Um, even when it, you are sure this is where you want to spend your career, your life, your every waking moment, uh, there will be doubt that gets thrown your way to kind of slither in. And don't let that win because Satan knows that you will make a difference. Yeah, And he wants to do everything he can to keep you from making that difference. It is a hard job. It is a taxing job, 
but it is a great job. It is it is rewarding and joyful, even in its worst moments. There you go, man. There's your commercial for ministry. So if you want a, a job in ministry, call Griffin. He'll get you hooked up. <laughs> Don't call me. Call Matthew. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I didn't do anything to help you get that job. They hired you despite <laughs> the letter I wrote him. <laughs> yeah, they you didn't say I had a bad letter. You, you didn't let me give you a reference. I don't understand why. <laughs> man, you're smarter than I gave you credit for. Oh. Well, man, this has been so much fun. And friends, thank you for uh, joining us today as we uh, we got to reflect a little bit on life and ministry. I like what you started us today, Griffin. You know, uh, sometimes we get God's story envy when the story is big and dramatic and exciting, but sometimes it's just the little God nudges, the God winks that are the uh, the really big deals that uh, we need to celebrate a little bit more. So uh, until next time, I can't wait to hear what God is up to in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, Help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.